We need you in our lives. We need your love. We need your strength. We need your Holy Spirit to give us the power to accomplish your will through our lives. Help us, Father. It, it is not about us. It is about you. It is about Jesus Christ and his righteousness in us. Without him, we are absolutely nothing. So, Father, help us to focus our eyes on you, to just separate from the, the cares of the world, the cares of the coming week, the cares of the past week. Father, help us to focus on you, to take peace and solace in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And as you know, I always forget one announcement, and even with visual aids, I forget. Somebody lost a pair of gloves a while ago. They've been on the counter, if they're yours. Thank you. I haven't done my smile check yet this morning. I I was checking on you while we were singing. I didn't see too many smiles. I know it can be hard to smile while you're singing, but... I know sometimes we have a rough week and it's not always easy to smile. So the ones that I don't see smiling on Sunday mornings go on the list to pray a little bit more for that the next coming week. So if you see somebody not smiling after church... Remember, they need prayer this week, especially if you're going to school, huh, Olivia? need lots of prayer for going to school. You could say right to, to Caitlin on that too, huh? <laughs> As a teacher at the school. <laughs> she goes to school every day too. Kim's going to school. There's a, there's a motivated young lady right there. She took 20 hours this, set, this summer, took a week off, and is right back at it. With She's taking a break. She's only taking 18 hours. Lazy. You know I'm joking. <laughs> Man, that's a lot of studying. Plus, she's working full-time, okay? She's working full-time on top of that. So, if you see somebody after church not smiling... Just make a note. They need extra prayer this week. They need to lift each other up. That is another reason we are here, is to lift one another up, to encourage. Last week, our sermon was entitled, Actively Waiting. Not patiently, but actively. Jesus ascended. We're in Acts chapter 1. And he told the disciples, go and wait. Go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Return to Jerusalem from Mount Olivet, which is just east of the city. Last week we were verses 12, 13, and 14. They went to, verse 12 describes an upper room. 
where they were staying may or may not have been where they had the last Passover. We don't know. But can anybody tell me how many apostles there are listed in verse 13 without counting them? How come? Why is there only 11? I thought there was 12. Judas committed suicide. He did. We're going to look some more at that today. Ugly, ugly chapter. And there is so much packed in verse 14 from last week. Wow. They were with one mind. The mind of Christ. Wasn't the mind of Peter. Wasn't the mind of Paul. Wasn't the mind of the angels that were there and told them he's going to come back just like he left. It wasn't their mind. It was the mind of Christ that they were to have. And we looked at Philippians 2. I'm going to skip a part and come back to it. But they were, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus. We'll get back to that one too. And with his brothers. During his earthly ministry, Jesus' brothers didn't know, didn't believe who he said he was. You're not the son of God. Who do you think you are? But after the crucifixion, the resurrection, they believed that he was indeed the Son of God. And James became one of the the main disciples, the mainstays in the church in Jerusalem. James, the brother of Jesus. Now back up. Devoting themselves to prayer along with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is the last time in the Bible that we hear of Mary. And when it says that they were devoting themselves to prayer, it doesn't say to the women or woman. They did not pray to Mary. They did not ask Mary for blessings. Mary was there praying with them. It's gotten confused by some that that Mary is a deity that can give you blessings. Sorry, that's not what God's word says. God is the one who will bestow blessings on us. God is the one who can save us from hell. God and God alone, through the work of his son Jesus Christ, is the only way of salvation. But they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Now I know in our we, we just finished Nehemiah a couple months ago, but he was a man that was devoted to prayer, if we remember back. Prayed many many occurrences, and I know that he prayed more times than what's listed in the book of Nehemiah. But this, what is listed there was just showing what a man of prayer that he was. He would go to God and ask God, what's your plan? He didn't say, God, here's my plan, bless it. God, what's your plan? How can you work through me? How can I accomplish your will? What does that look like? What do you want me to do? And so we find that the, in the early church, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Let's move into this week. I'm going to read, uh, well, today we're going to try to cover 15 to 26. I'm going to start out by reading 15 through 20. We'll discuss that, and then we'll read the rest of the chapter and discuss that. Beginning in verse 15, Acts chapter 1. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons were there together, and said, Brethren... The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, 
who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He was a traitor. Verse 17, for he was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. Now, this man required a field, uh, excuse me, acquired a field with the price of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Lovely picture. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language, that field was called Hekeldma. That is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no man dwell in it. And his office, let another man take. At what point in history did God know that Judas was going to betray him? Go ahead, that's a question you can answer. Before he laid the foundations of the world, Jesus Christ knew that Judas Iscariot was going to betray him. Didn't take him by surprise. You say, well, then why in the world did he call him to come come fish for men with the other 11? Why in the world would he do that? In Psalm 41.9, and, and I, we, there's a lot of scripture today, folks, so if it comes to the point that you want to just write it down and listen as I read, and then come back during the week or whatever, I, that's fine. I understand that. But Psalm 41, slow down, John. Psalm 41, 9, even my close friend in whom I have trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And John 13, 18. I do not speak of all of you. I know the one I have chosen, but it is that scripture may be fulfilled. That he, and again from Psalm, he's quoting here in John 13, he who eats my bread has lifted up the heel against me. Now to us that's kind of plain, but he was dealing with the apostles. So in verse 21 there in John 13, he makes it a little more clear. Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Just in case you didn't figure that out from verse 18 above, one of you will betray me. So what, what, is, what happens then? Just as, in, as we saw in verse 13, we're down to 11. We're down to 11 apostles. There needs to be 12. Why is there a need for there to be 12? In, in Jewish history and, and uh, in through, throughout their, their existence as a nation, 12 is a significant number. We think of the 12 tribes. But 12 means a per- perfect administration or governmental perfection or rule. So 12 is, is almost kind of like another number of completeness. We know that 7 is the, the number of perfection or completeness because in 7 days God created the earth and then rested and gave us the week. So 7 is a, a pretty significant number. But here we're going to look at the number 12 a little bit. 
And this has absolutely nothing to do with anything, but I, I think it's rather interesting since we're talking about the, the governmental rule in Israel. I just think it's interesting. In the United States, we have 94 federal judicial courts organized into 12 regional courts. Interesting. Like I say, it has nothing to do with this or the passage, but I just find that interesting. Number 12. Turn with me, and I would ask you to turn to this one, to Matthew chapter 19. I like to use other passages to explain and shed more light on the, the, the lesson that we're doing this week. That's why I like to use a lot of other scriptures. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 27, Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Now what's in it for us? Hmm. Verse 28, Jesus said to them, in, in, in his, his, his self-centered and self-whatever, fulfilling that is, Jesus comes back with a really serious answer for, for kind of what seems like it might be a selfish question. Jesus answered, said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So we got to have twelve, folks. We got to have twelve. With Judas hanging himself, we only have eleven. But right here, God says we need twelve because that's the plan. That's the way I've got it structured. That's the way I've got it set up. And in the, the term in the regeneration here refers to the recreation of the social order and the renewal of the earth and establishing the millennium king, millennial kingdom. Okay? So it has a role that the apostles are going to play in the millennial kingdom at some time in the future. What's that kingdom going to look like? Here again, you can turn with me or, or just write it down and listen. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. This is, this is what, just a little snapshot picture of that kingdom is going to look like when the 12 apostles are sitting on 12 thrones judging the people of Israel. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child, that sounds real safe, doesn't it? It's going to be a different time, obviously. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full 
of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That sounds like a nicer time to live than right now, doesn't it? Romans chapter 8. Romans 8.19 For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope. In hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers in the pains of childbirth get together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we've been saved, for hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. The kingdom, the earth is looking forward to it because it will stop groaning. I believe that means earthquakes will stop. That's part of the, the way that the earth groans. They're, they're because of sin. Our sin has affected the earth. There was a time in... in uh, Israel's history before the kings, that they were ruled by some judges. We, we talked about Gideon a few weeks ago, but there was Samson and Deborah and several others. Turn, if you will, to Judges chapter 2. This kind of gives the, the history and the background of, of why the judges... It's also an interesting. Well, I'm 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 missing key words this morning that just don't want to come to my mind, but it's a it's kind of a snapshot of us. Then the Lord raised. Uh, I'm sorry, Judges two sixteen through eight nineteen. The Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them, and yet they did not listen to their judges. For they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved with pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about, this is, and this is where it, it just, it, it frustrates me because I know how much this reflects on who I am. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers. In following other gods to serve them and bow down to them, they did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. Okay, it's been a while since I've said it, but here goes. How often in my life do I think I know better than God? Because every time I sin, 
That's what I'm saying. When I sin, I say, God, I know better than you. Here, let me take you off the throne. I know better than you. I should be on that throne, not you. And, and I just I love the wording because it says that the, when, when the Lord appointed judges to help the nation of Israel get back to God, and he, he says, I was with the judge. The judge wasn't doing it on his own or her own. God was there right beside him to accomplish his plan in the lives of the people of Israel. And those judges, they were to rule the people. If we go back to the Matthew 19 passage, guess what? In the kingdom to come on this earth, the 12 judges, the 12 apostles will be judging the people of Israel. So guess what? We got to have 12. 11 will not do. Let's go back to Acts 1. Verse 17. For he, Judas Iscariot, was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, the field was called Hekeldema, that is, the field of blood. The field that was purchased with the 30 pieces of silver is the field Hekeldema. It is not the field where Judas Iscariot hanged himself and then came to his grisly end. Okay? There, there is a difference, and then we'll, we'll explain why. Other than the fact that the Scripture says so, there's another explanation from Jewish his, history in regard to that. Matthew 26. And I, and I won't read all these. I'll, I'll summarize them because uh, there's quite a bit of Scripture here. Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. Judas Iscariot went, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if, I, if I'm a traitor to Jesus and hand him over to you? They weighed out 30 pieces of silver, and from then on he was looking for his chance to betray Jesus. Verses 47 to 56. I I don't want to read all of that. Um, Yeah, I do. (laughs) Matthew 26, 47. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him, now Judas, who was betraying Jesus, gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I shall kiss, he's the one, seize him. Immediately he went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, Do what you have come to do. And they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Drop down to verse 52. Jesus said to him, 
Um, okay, first of all, Peter whacks off the ear of one of the guards. Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away. Or, in verse 53, and there's a reason I'm reading this, and I'm sure you'll figure it out. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Interesting, that number 12 is there. You know what a legion was in, in the Roman army? About six, anywhere between three to 6,000 men. But Jesus is saying, guys, I could call right now, like that, 72,000 angels to be here right me. Put that stupid sword away. Put that sword away. That's not my plan. That's not the way that my father wants me to do this. I could have called, well, we know he could have called a whole lot more than that. But I just find it interesting that it was 12 legions of angels that he, that he mentions there. How then shall the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen this way? Have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me as against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this had taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And, and it's funny because there, there was the one time in the temple where they did attempt to, to grab him. And, and the scripture says he just walked right through them because it wasn't his time. It wasn't the way that the father had it planned. But he's here now. He's been betrayed by Judas. And then if we turn to chapter 20, Matthew 27, 3 through 10, we'll wrap this part up and get back to, get back to Acts. When Judas had betrayed him, betrayed him and saw that he had been condemned... He felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, that's your problem, buddy. What is that to us? See to that yourself. And Judas threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them in the temple treasure, since it is the price of blood. They counseled together, and with the money, they bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Verse 8. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. It wasn't because that's where Judas hanged himself. It wasn't because of the grossness that happened there, okay? It's called the field of blood because they purchased it with blood money. Now, one thing with Jewish tradition, and, and I, I would think probably other cultures have the same thing, is there is no way that they would have bought a field that was stained by suicide as a cemetery. Not that they, 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 it isn't that they worship the dead, but they have more respect for the dead than that, okay? And that, that's just a, from the Jewish history and their traditions, that's just a logical reason why the field of blood, the Hakeldama that was purchased by the high priests, could not be the same field in which Judas Iscariot hanged himself, okay? And, and, I mean, it doesn't get any more plain than verse 8 there. So if you want to keep discussing or arguing with somebody, go ahead, but not me, because I'll just keep reading verse 8 to you. That that is where 
the field of blood was the burial place that the, the high priest purchased with the 30 pieces of silver that, that Judas threw back into the temple because he was disgusted with himself. He was disgusted with the whole thing that he had done. But it's interesting, the, the word, uh, let's see. If I can find it, I'm not going to find it right off the top of my head. But the, the word, when, when it says that some, some translations say that Judas repented, that repentance is a different Greek word, and, and it's, it's better translated remorse. Because when we repent from our sin, we do a 180, we do a U-turn. We go away from our sin. Judas didn't do that. He, he, he was just sorry for what he did. He wasn't spiritually convicted to the point that, that he was confessing his sin. He, he was just sorry for what he had done. And that was why he literally threw the 30 coins of silver back into the temple. He wanted nothing to do with it. So disgusted with what he had done. He, 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 he along with the other disciples, thought that, that Christ was going to bring and return an earthly kingdom. That Christ was going to be the, the king they were looking for. They were looking for an earthly king, not a spiritual Messiah, and that's where they went wrong. That's where they messed up, the Jews. And being the, being the, the bean counter, the money counter, Judas was, was concerned about that. He was concerned about more about the earthly kingdom. And, and when Christ was not establishing himself as the king, Judas was done. He wanted nothing to do with it. That's why he was willing to betray him. So what are we what are we looking for in Christ today? Verses 21 through 26 of Acts chapter 1. It is therefore necessary that the men who have accompanied us all at the time of we, we got to get that 12th guy back in, okay? And that's what we're going to do here in these verses. That all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, the, the, you, just, you just read the job description. If you don't have these qualifications, you're not even in the running. Okay, You, you had to have been at, at the baptism of Jesus. You had to have been with him in his three and a half years of earthly ministry. You had to be there at the crucifixion, and you had to be there at the ascension. And Peter's standing in the midst of 120 of them, uh, of men, and, and I don't know if all 120 met every one of these requirements, but those that were, they, they, they boiled it down to two, and they nominated two, okay? Verse 23, they put forward two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed. Enough said. And they prayed. They didn't pick. They prayed. They asked God for direction. They asked God for wisdom. And they asked God to make the decision. And they prayed, verse 24, and said, Thou, Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. 
And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Back to Deuteronomy 3.23. Why would you want God to fight your fights for you? Because he's never lost one. We need to let God fight our battles for us. We need to let God lead in the selection process. Because he knows the hearts of all men. I, I can't even, I can't, some, someday when I get to heaven, I'll, maybe I'll have a memory. And I, so I can't remember who this, this week, might be a couple different people that I've been discussing this with is that I am really, really glad that I don't have to figure out whether someone is saved or not. That's God's determination. Now, there will will be evidences. uh, We were talking about the verse in, in Matthew about not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. And it's scratching our heads like, man, that doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem right. But God knows our hearts. What is it you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time? But you can never fool God. God knows your heart. He knows your motives for what you do and why you do it. That can be really, really disturbing or really, really rewarding. Why do I do what I do? What motivates me? What motivates you for what you do? Or what you don't do? That you should do. That I should do. I love that verse. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show us which one of these two you have chosen. Nehemiah, God, what is your plan? How do you want this to to work out? One of the criteria we established a long time ago, before we would start building, is that we had to have at least 80% of the funds in hand. We weren't going to take a loan. We weren't going to do a mortgage. When we got all of our expenses listed and all the inc- the money that we had available, we were about $500 short of the total. And then we took an offering and God blessed us 15, over $15,000. So I think, if my math is right, I think that puts us over the top. <laughs> that God has supplied. God will do His work in His way. And, and he will provide for it. And I was going to say in his time, obviously his time is not our time because my time was last week to have the concrete done. And so I just have to go, okay, Lord, I know you've got it. For some reason, you didn't want that done this week. But I don't have to lay and toss and turn in bed at night and sweat about it and fret about it and say, what's up, God? What are you doing? I can rest in bed and say, God, you got it. I know you do. And when you want it done, 
gates of hell can't stop it. So we just need to keep praying that God's will will be done in that, but more importantly, in this. In each one of our hearts, let God work. There was a, a message I heard a week or a little over a week and a half ago. I'm not going to share any of it with you today, but maybe sometime in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to plagiarize from another preacher because it was just so it was so so simple of what we need to do to let God be in our lives. What do we need to do? We need to live like we know that He knows what our heart is. We need to live like that. We need to be real. Biggest reason people don't want to come to church is because of all the hypocrites that are in here. Well, folks, ain't none of us perfect. By God's grace, we'll live more and more like Him so that we'll reflect His Son, Jesus Christ, to the world around us. But let Him work in your heart. Let Him change you to be the man or woman of God that He wants you to be and that He needs you to be. He could carry out His will without us. He doesn't have to use us. But He wants to. He wants to use you. He wants to work through you, with you, just like He worked with the judges. He didn't just put them out there and say, go get them and you're on your own. He wants to work with us. He wants to work in our hearts. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that your will will be done in our lives. Father, help us to keep you on the throne. Because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the creator, the mighty one. You are the everlasting God. You are our savior. Work in our hearts, Father. Change us to be more like you. We thank you and give you the praise for how you do that in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.